It's uh, good to be with you. My name is Pastor Steve Winstead, and uh, it is a real privilege to get to be worshiping here with you and opening the Word of God. Uh, one uh, note I want to highlight today, we um, love pursuing taking care of the body well. We believe that God has called us to lead, feed, and shepherd the body as well as possible, but that becomes difficult when we don't have a good accounting of who the body is. So we are, for the next few weeks, for the month of June, we are doing what we call our membership renewal. What this means is if you're a member of IEC, all we're asking you to do is fill out a piece of paper. You can, um, we'll get a basket up front and you can bring it up after the service and put it in a basket up here. They're available in the back, the pieces of paper are, or you can drop them in the offering next week. Um, we will also, starting early this week, either tomorrow or Tuesday, we will have the form available online. And in some ways, it's a little easier for you to fill it out online because that helps us because we don't have to enter it twice. But either way, we want to make it easy for you to renew your membership. All it is is if you're a member, we just want to know you're still with us. Gather your information because we are putting together a, a new database that'll allow us to hopefully better shepherd the body, better care for the body. You're gonna see a few things we'll be doing with that. We'll be taking individual members' pictures so that we can have them in our database so our elders, when we pray for our members, we can look and see who they are. Uh, it'll also be a blessing to you, the body. So we hope that you will be able to take part in our membership renewal. Now, if, if you're not a member, and you want to be a member, well, we praise God for that. Our next membership class will be in August. So it's coming up in a little bit, but we'll have a membership class again in August. So just hold on, keep coming. And uh, we want you to know what we believe. If you're going to join a church, we don't want to surprise you and you realize, oh, I didn't know the church believed that, held to that. So we talk about what we believe. And we also talk about, as a member of the church, how we hope to care for you and what we expect all members to do. We believe when you're a member of a church that you bring your gifts, your talents, your services, and you give them to the body of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing uh, to see. You do it both here in this church and you do it out there in the community as you take the gospel to uh, this city and beyond. So uh, we're excited to uh, get a better understanding of who our members are. We know that some haven't been us with us during COVID, so please help us out there. Well, today we are continuing on in Philippians. We're in the last chapter. We will finish Philippians next week. So we've only got two weeks in Philippians left. And today we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 13. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 13. And please stand for the reading of God's good word. It reads, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace 
will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we pick up today. Paul is in the closing of this book of Philippians. He's nearing the end of it, and he's giving final words of advice, final words of, of, of encouragement to this body in Philippi. And he started chapter 4 telling the church to stand firm. And he gives them four words, four understandings of how they can stand, or five, of how they can stand firm. We covered four of those last week. The fourth one said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's a beautiful verse. And it's a verse that we all need to hear. It's a verse I would encourage you to hide in your heart to put to memory. Because one of the realities of all humans, we always are pulled to anxiety. Anxiety and worry is a form of denial of God, denial of His goodness, denial of His sovereignty, denial of His wisdom, denial of His leading. Yet in our flesh, we all struggle with it. Some struggle with it more so than others. Some, it's a plague upon their life. Others taste it in seasons. Yet what Paul gives us is a word of how to handle it. When you feel anxious, pray. When you feel anxious, beg God. When you pray, feel anxious, give thanks. Now, there's some signs that a person's struggling with anxiety. And I go over these and I tell you every one of these I've tasted in various seasons of life. As we talk about anxiety, as I read this, I realize I'm preaching to myself because this is things that we all still struggle with. Some signs of anxiety, negative, critical thinking. We imagine the worst case scenario. You'll run through a scenario and you picture it going really, really badly. Sign of anxiety, you overthink small things. They become a big deal in your life and weighty. You have trouble sleeping, irritability. 
avoiding social situations, often comparing yourselves to others, afraid to say something that would be perceived as wrong or inaccurate. When you're feeling these, these are all signs that you're in the midst of struggling with anxiety. And when you feel these, when you sense these, it's a wake-up call to take things to God in prayer. Begging Him, God, take this. And you may have to take it to God over and over and over again. What we're going to see today is Paul is going to give further insight into how we stand firm in our faith. And in doing so, he's going to speak to furthering dealing with this issue of anxiety here. Today we're going to get to one of the greatest desires that's on the heart of every human being. So here in verse 8, he says, finally, he's beginning to wrap up the book. Finally, brothers, and he gives us eight things to think on. Paul's going to say, here's one way you handle anxiety is you begin to think on these things. He says, think about what is true. Brother and sister, what do you think about? Your thought life is one of the most powerful things about you. We are continually thinking. Right now, if what everybody was thinking became verbalized, there'd be a lot of noise in this room because everyone here is thinking. We're continually thinking. We don't stop thinking. Some of you are thinking on the words that I'm saying. Some of you are stuck on something I said a few minutes ago. Some of you are thinking about something out there, something else. But we're all continually thinking. And here he says, we're to think on this. Think on what is true. That's valid, honest, reliable. And there is no greater truth than the Word of God. This should be the primary thought on our hearts and minds. We should continually think, ponder, process the Word of God. God's given us a gift. God has spoken. Many people say, I want to hear a word from God. God's already given us His Word. This is His ultimate authoritative Word. And we can rely on it. We can trust it. It's the most true thing there is. You see, we live in a world where voices get amplified through social media, where people go through social media and think and listen and hear different voices. And we spend more time, often, listening to the voices out there, the voices of the world, rather than the voice of God spoken through His Word. We think about what's true. He says, think about what's honorable. I mean, what's dignified. It's, it's above reproach. Think of honorable things. Think of what is just. We live in a world where there's not much justice. We live in a world where every one of us have been treated unjustly at some level or another. Some greatly so. Some continually so. But we're to think about God who is just. And we are to pursue and seek justice in the name of God. We're to think about what's pure. Moral, that means, the, the word pure means morally blameless. You see, one of the great things that plagues our culture, our thoughts, 
images that people have seen. We live in a culture that's highly sexualized by the internet and by various things. And many people are thinking continually on things that are not pure. No, we're to think on the things that are pure. We're to feed our mind with the things that are pure. He says, lovely. This is the only time Paul uses this word in this context. Lovely, beautiful, glorious. We can walk out and look in this world and go, God, you created this. Stop staring at our screens and walk out and look at the world God has created and praise Him for creating this lovely world. What's commendable, that means the highest standards. What's excellent, that means moral excellence. What's, pray, what's worthy of praise. These are the things that we are to think about. One of my favorite quotes, I've said it before, it's about A.W. Tozer. He says, the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. Because that governs our life. What do you think when you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about God? Because all of these words that we just mentioned describe God. God is true. He's honorable. He's just. He's pure. He's lovely. He's commendable. He's excellent. And He ultimately is worthy of praise in Him alone. See, think about these things. Again, you're always thinking. And thinking is a form of meditation. When you turn to the Psalms, the Psalms are the greatest book of worship of our God ever penned. I love it when we sing Psalms. They're beautiful. They're glorious. They're from the Word of God. Yet the very first Psalm gives us the key to understanding all of the Psalms. In fact, the first two verses... They really explain how you're to approach the Psalms and listen to what they say. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. We are to have God's Word on our heart to be meditating on it day and night. In the Hebrew language, there's a visual image that comes to mind with meditation. It's that of a cow chewing on grass, or some would say cud. Have you ever seen a, a cow? Cows just go out in the field and they chew on grass all day long. But what they do is they take that grass down. They have four stomachs. They swallow the grass. It goes into a stomach. And then this is a little gross, but this is what they do. The cow then vomits the grass back up, catches it in his mouth, chews on it some more, and does that over and over. The cow chews on this cud and continually comes back to it. And that's the image of meditation. Meditating on what is true. Meditating on the Word of God. Thinking about it. We're all continually meditating. And let me tell you, worry, anxiety is a form of meditation. It's a form of meditation 
where you're taking a problem, a scenario, something that's concerning you, you're chewing on it, you're thinking about it, you're chewing it and you're swallowing it down and then you're vomiting it back up only to chew on it some more. No, we're to take our worry, our anxiety to God. That's why Paul's continuing on here, right after he talks about taking your anxiety to God through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, that he brings us right back to here. What are you thinking about? What's going on up in here? Because that'll dictate how you live your life, how you process it. Now, we're to be people who think and process on the things of God. That's one reason in my personal spiritual life, one of the things that God has used most powerfully has been Scripture memory. I don't think we have to memorize Scripture. But I'll tell you, I've been in a lot, there's been a lot of times in my life where I found myself in a situation where I'm struggling or my mind is beginning to think something and God will bring a Scripture to mind and I'll chew on that Scripture. You see, David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We want God's word in our heart. This world wants to put its values, its thoughts in your heart and mind. But God wants in your heart and mind His word, what is true. And as we think of the truths of God, anxiety begins to dissipate as we bring it to God in prayer. But here's the thing. It's usually not a one-time deal. In fact, it never is. We continually have to come back to God dependent. God, I brought this to you yesterday. Here it is again. I thank you, God. I want to set my mind on your things. I don't want to set my mind on this problem. It doesn't mean you ignore an issue. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you pretend it's not there. It means that you bring it to this proper place, to God. I need you to deal with it, God. I need you to direct me. I need you to guide me. I need to trust in you. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. L listen to that. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions. Let me tell you, there are a lot of opinions out there in this world that are against the things of God. And there's a lot of people that are far more intelligent far more articulate, far better at an argument, who can seek to sway you from the things of God. But he says, no, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Again, you discipline your mind. Look at what he says here in verse 9, back in Philippians 4. What I have learned. Just circle that word. What I have learned Learned. That means that you don't just receive it. You don't just get it. You've got to learn this. If you're going to live a life walking in obedience of God, free from anxiety, you've got to learn it. And look what Paul says. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. The Philippian church had learned, heard, uh, seen, and received from Paul these things. This is a beautiful picture of discipleship. It's not just that they heard it from Paul. No, they saw it in Paul. They saw him living this out. 
They learned it from him. He taught it to them. But he didn't just teach them by their hearing. He taught them by their seeing. He taught them by their receiving it. They physically felt it. This is how the faith is passed on from person to person. You see, what God always does, he takes this word, the word of God, it becomes flesh and is lived out with flesh on. And we impact one another. The written word being lived out in the flesh. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus is called the word of God. Because you want to really know how you're to live? You read Jesus' life. You look to Christ. And Paul is saying, hey, church in Philippian, look to me and what God has done in my life. I'm not perfect, but look to me. And that's what we be, should be pursuing in our lives. I heard someone say this week that they didn't know many people who didn't seem burdened by anxiety. And I thought that's a sad commentary on the body of Christ. We should be people who are joyful, a people full of joy, a people who though there are things to be concerned about and worried about, we bring them to the Lord. Because Paul here, remember where is Paul? He's in prison and his friend Demas has deserted him. People that are loyal have gone and left him. So here he says what you've learned. Listen to what he says after that in verse 9. Practice these things. You mean this takes practice? Like we, we can't just magically begin to deal with these things? Begin to magically think on the things of God? Begin to magically not have anxiety? No, you've got to learn it. No, you've got to put it into practice. To become good at something, you practice it over and over and over again. I love biographies and I love looking at the lives of people who've done unique things. I love looking at the lives of athletes. Most athletes that we write about or know about, they're, they're, they've, God has given them an exceptional ability, an amazing ability. But the ones who we really talk about, that ability is combined with discipline, learning, and practice. Perhaps the greatest distance runner to ever live, definitely in the discussion, is Haile Guber Selassie from here in Ethiopia. Did you know he ran 200 kilometers every week? You know he woke up at 5.30 in the morning to go run? He practiced. Oh, sure, he had more gifting for running than probably any of us in this room. But that wouldn't have been enough. Not to accomplish what he accomplished, he had to practice. Continually do it over and over and over again. And Paul is saying, put this into practice. Put into practice. Praying when you're anxious. Giving thanks to God when you're anxious. Put into practice. Thinking on that which is true, honorable, pure, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Put those things into practice. You've got to come back to them over and over again. It takes discipline. A person that you see who is calm in the midst of a storm, who has faith in the midst of great tragedy and challenges of life, that didn't just happen. 
That was learned through practice and faith in God. We continually put these things in practice. And look what he says. He says, and in the verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. So remember this. As you're practicing, as you're doing these things, God, the God of peace is with you. He's with you. You're not alone. You don't have to go at this alone. God's with you as you do this. Now in verse 10, Paul's just addressed their thought life. That was the final thing in his sort of um, his, his recommendations for standing firm, his word, his truth, his commands for how you stand firm. Now in verse 10, he's going to put into practice what he just talked about. Listen to what verse 10 says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've, re you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity. Paul's just said, give thanks in all circumstances. Or, or he's just said, uh, everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That we're to be thankful. And now he's given thanks. I think Paul struggled with anxiety. He's in prison. He doesn't know where his next meal's coming from. He's got to hope somebody brings him a meal. People have deserted him, left him. They don't want to be associated with Paul while he's in prison. Then people will think that they'll look to them and they'll think that they're criminals. No, they don't want anything to do with Paul. He's been deserted by most. But here Paul gives thanks for the church in Philippi. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you've revived your concern for me. This church was concerned about Paul and their concern was by sending financial gifts to help Paul. And he says, not that you haven't been concerned. They had been concerned, but they had no opportunity to show it. What that means is that they were in a difficult situation in Philippi. This church in Philippi, they were persecuted heavily. Philippi was a difficult place to have a church. And they were a very impoverished church. So for a season, they could not send Paul a gift. So Paul says, you've been concerned with me. You just couldn't show you were concerned with me. And now Paul praises God that their continued concern for him has manifested itself in meeting Paul's needs in taking care of his financial needs. Paul shows gratitude, one of the most important things in our life. Now, verses 10 through 11 through 13 Paul's going to speak on perhaps the greatest desire humans have. It's one of those major desires in our life. It's a desire that we all gravitate toward. He's going to speak of contentment, of being content. Uh, we all desire to be content. Everybody does. And he's going to give us three things. We're going to see three things in these three verses. One, we're going to see that contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Contentment is not connected to your circumstances. Secondly, he's going to say this a few times, contentment is learned. You don't just magically become a content person. You learn it. And third, he says, contentment, it flows from our union and reliance on Christ. Here in verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. You have to learn it. 
It's like a child has to learn to ride a bike. They'll get on that bike the first few times, they'll fall down, they'll skin their knees, they'll be frustrated, they'll want to quit, but you keep going. You keep trying. You learn it over and over again through the ups and downs. Let me ask you this. What do you think it would take to make you content? What, what do you think it would take for you to be fully satisfied right now? Finish the sentence. If blank happened, then I would be content. If blank were happening in my life, then I would be satisfied, content. What is it you would put in that blank? If I had a better job, if my marriage were in a better place, if I was married, if my kids were more obedient, if my kids were out of the house, if my kids, if I had kids, that would make my life content. If I own my own business, if I have a nicer home, a bigger home, if I finally uh, find that right job, that right fit, that right house, that right city, what is it you put in that blank? I would be content if. Because here's the thing, whatever you put in there, consciously or unconsciously, you gravitate toward that. You head toward that. Whatever you would put in there that say, this would make me content, whether you know it or not, that's what you start to move toward. That's what you start to gravitate toward. We gravitate toward the things that we think would give us contentment. I saw a study. It was done by non-Christians, secular people who were studying people doing research on the elderly who were very near death. They were near the end of their life. And they asked them several questions and they said three themes emerged. When they asked people, what would you do differently? They found these three themes emerged over and over again. And again, this isn't a Christian study, but God created humanity. And the hardwiring that God created us and our desires begin to leak. Listen, they say they would have first reflected more. They wouldn't have gotten so caught up in busy, 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 go, 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 do, do, do. They would have taken time to sit and reflect and be still and ask themselves, how am I using my life? What they're saying is, I would have taken more time to think what's Paul just told the church in Philippi to do? He says, think about these things. Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, that's what you're to think about. And here's people at the end of their life going, wish I'd taken more time to think. Well, God's Word tells us to take time to think, to think on these things. They say they would have taken more risks they would have been more courageous in relationships. They would have been more courageous in their work life. They would have stepped out in faith and taken risk 
spiritually. That they're most alive and thrilled when they were stepping out, taking a risk. You know what Paul said earlier in this book? He said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul was a risk taker. But he took risk for the glory of God. If you play it safe all the time, you're going to look at your life and go, I played it safe for you, God. I never stepped out in faith. Faith means you step out and you go, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm not sure. They say they wish they had taken more risk. We take risk for the glory of God. Live by faith. And they say they would have sought to discover what really brings fulfillment in life. The majority of people near the end of their life, over and over again they say, we did not discover what brings fulfillment in life. It wasn't more stuff. It wasn't more things. In fact, they said, we kept chasing after things that were empty. You know what that sounds like? Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, he says, Vanity, vanity, it's all chasing after the wind. Solomon, wealthiest man, ever, wealthiest man of his day, richest man on earth. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He partied harder than any man to ever live. Solomon pursued intellectualism, and he said it's all meaningless, empty, unless you seek after the one true God. And these are the truths that Paul's addressing here. You're not going to be content in life without Christ. You see, there's some who look and say, well, we've, you've got to have more stuff to be content. The culture I come from, I come from the United States, one of the most affluent cultures on earth, and I can tell you over and over again, people just keep getting more, 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 more. And it's one of the most miserable, tragic, sad cultures there is because people are empty. They're chasing after the wind. They're not satisfied. In fact, when you look at celebrities, they have more fame than we'll ever have. They have more money than we'll ever have. They have more stuff than we'll ever have. But when you hear the interviews with them, empty. Empty. So don't believe the lie that more is going to make you content. It won't. But then there's another lie that people believe. Doesn't matter. The, the Stoics, Buddhists, They'll take things and say, they'll take a pot and throw it on the ground and go, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Stuff means nothing to me. Anything in this world, it's meaningless. When a child dies, they'll say it doesn't matter. Instead of pursuing more, they're pursuing less. And it's not about pursuing more. It's not about pursuing less. It's about pursuing Christ. You see, we, we get caught up in thinking more will make us satisfied, less will make us content. No, it won't. It's Christ. Because look at, look at what he says here in verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Well, Paul, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained by Gamaliel. He came from a wealthy, influential family in Tarshish. He had been 
uh, he had been uh, friends with Barnabas, who was very wealthy. So he had abounded. Yet Paul had been in prison. Three times he'd been beaten with 39 lashes. He had been shipwrecked. He had been stoned and left for dead. Paul knows what it's like to be low. He knows what it's like to be high. He goes on to say, I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have, here's the word again, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul has learned something. He says it's a secret. That means not too many people have discovered it. Not too many people realize this. But it has to be learned. There's a secret to contentment that has to be learned. A secret to living beyond our circumstances, where our circumstances aren't what dictate our lives. Now, Paul, we see that contentment flows from our reliance and relationship on, in Christ. Listen to verse 13. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, when I say that's a secret, all of you are going, I don't, like, I didn't even have to try to memorize that verse. I've just heard it so much. If you've been in church any time, you're like, that's one of those famous verses on in the Bible. It may be the most misused verse in the Bible. Because people will take it out of context and go, I can do anything through Christ that gives me strength. I want to be an Olympic athlete. Christ will give me strength. I want to go do whatever. Christ will give me strength to do whatever I desire. No, it's not what it's saying at all. Paul is saying he can be content in any and every circumstance because Christ will give him strength in any and every circumstance. That's the secret. What's the secret to contentment? Is that you can be content regardless of your circumstance. But it's only through Christ who strengthens you. You can't do it in and of yourself. You know that poll they took of all the elderly people who were nearing death and asked them what they would do differently? They couldn't, all those things they couldn't accomplish because they didn't have Christ. It's only with Christ who strengthens us do we find real purpose in life. It's only through Christ who strengthens us do we discover these things. It's a secret. Let me tell you, it's something that's learned, but it's not something out there. It's from Christ, and we can learn to walk in it. So here's the principles on contentment that we just talked about. One, our contentment is not depending on our circumstances. When then, when this happens, then I'm satisfied. It's foolishness. It'll never work. Our circumstances don't have the power to make us content. Secondly, Contentment is learned. It's not something you achieve. Most people treat contentment like, I'm going to achieve contentment when I'm smart enough, when I've got enough degrees, when I've got the job, I will achieve contentment. It's not something you achieve. It's something that you learn. And thirdly, contentment flows from union with Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ that we will taste any contentment in this life. The greatest discontentment a person can taste 
is disunity with God Almighty. To walk separated from Him. And Jesus came to bring peace between us and God. Jesus came and He kept the law perfectly. You and I, we couldn't keep the law. The law reveals to us one thing. You're a sinner. You don't look at the law and go, I can do that. You look at the law and go, I'm a sinner. But Jesus perfectly kept the law. And Jesus came and took our place, lived the perfect life you and I couldn't live. You and I deserve death for our sin. We deserve the cross. He went to the cross, not deserving it. You and I deserve the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God upon him on the cross. You and I deserve eternal separation from God. Jesus experienced separation from God the Father in some way as he hung there on the cross and darkness covered the earth. You and I deserve death. Jesus took our death, but he arose victorious because death couldn't hold him down. And you and I, we can arise victorious too because of Christ. And we can live and learn and practice contentment in this life because of Christ. A disgruntled, highly anxious, discontent Christian isn't tapping in to the freedom that Jesus Christ gives. If that's where you are, read this verse over and over again. With prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, take a request to God. Think about that which is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about those things. And know that you can do all things when it comes to living contently through Christ who gives you strength. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, realize the greatest joy in life is Jesus walking with Him, knowing Him. He died to reconcile you. And I pray that you'll live in light of that. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word. Your Word is true. Your Word is good. It's gracious. And Lord, we confess, we confess, God, that we don't live as content people. Certainly not as often as we should. Lord, we confess that in our anxiety, in our worry, we run to the things of this world rather than you. Sometimes in our anxiety and worry, we run to sin. Lord, we confess that we've run to sin of quick releases. Sin of seeking to remove the stress and the anxiety rather than running to you. Forgive us, Lord, we know you do in Christ. But yet, Lord, may we be a joy-filled people because of Jesus. <laughs> may we do all things through Christ who gives us strength and that all things is living contently because you give us the strength to be content people. May we learn this secret 
May we live it out. And may we be like Paul, able to say to others, you've learned it from me. You've heard it from me. You've seen it in me. You've received it from me. May we pass on what you're doing in our life to others. And Lord, if there's any here today who do not know you, may today be the day of redemption. Lord, as we sing this last song, may we stand to sing, or may we sit to process and ponder. But Lord, may we give this time to you to do business with God Almighty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.